Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Today, we're going to talk about a sensitive subject that's grossly underaddressed, and that is mental health, especially maternal mental health. My guest is a clinical psychologist who specializes in pregnancy, postpartum, and parenting. She's the creator of the Afterbirth Plan Workshop, a program that prepares couples for what to expect after their baby is born. She's a mother to four incredible kids, and she is my significantly better half. Dr. Alyssa Berlin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, hon. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> it's going pretty good. Great dinner tonight, baby. That was amazing. Good. Thank you. I know you pulled it together at the last second. Welcome uh, to all right. COVID. Let's talk about psychology and mental health. That's your passion. It's what you've been doing for a really long time. You know, look, we met, gosh, a long time ago in summer camp, and you were already interested in psychology then. Mm -hmm. uh, what gave you such a strong interest in psychology? You know, I think it felt like almost a foregone conclusion. It just seemed like a role that naturally found me in terms of I was always that person that, you know, friends would come to to talk about what was bothering them, parents, siblings. Um, it just seemed like I was the point person. So actually pursued psychology because, like I said, it just felt like it found me. And it wasn't until I started doing my training that I realized how deeply connected I really was to it. Yeah, also our kids, they always go to you, not me. <laughs> I'm going to keep working on that. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to you. Everybody goes to you. When did you shift over to maternal mental health? When did that become a big part of your plan? I think my story is not unique. I think as we were having our kids and, you know, here we are, we live in L.A. with no family. Why very little with no, no family? Nobody. <laughs> nobody. That, you know, after that first child, you say, gosh, there's got to be more out there than just, you know, sink or swim. And so, you know, after baby number two was born, because that was probably the first time that I felt like I can come up for air and kind of actually think about getting something else done. I grabbed Sherry, our birth doula. And I dragged her to Colorado with me and did some extra training and discovered that there was a whole beautiful world that was starting to come together, you know, aimed at postpartum and perinatal mental health. And that just sent me on a journey. And then it was researching and looking and exploring and figuring out what else there is out there besides you just got to figure it out. Hmm. I mean, I think it's fair to say that mental health is underaddressed. In our country, I think there's a lot of stigma about mm -hmm. mental health. You can have pretty much anything wrong with you physically and people feel bad for you. And then as soon as you have something wrong emotionally or psychologically... Um, the question is, why? What's wrong? What do you think you did to cause yourself to be depressed? Right, like it's your fault. Yeah. And also, like, you know, there's a, maybe a fear around it. Like, I, I don't want to be around you. I don't trust you. You're weird. You're different. Or it's catchy, right? Oh, I, I don't I'll get it. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, truthfully, uh, I see in my side of the practice, I see a lot of people who struggle with just generalized anxiety, not necessarily around the pregnancy. That maybe gets worse during the pregnancy. Uh, a lot of fear, of um, sometimes negative feelings, sadness or depression. And because you can't see it and you can't touch it, it's harder to imagine what it's like to have it than, let's say, somebody who has an injury on their leg or some sure. um, another disease that you can sort of see and relate to. And so you just sometimes, because it seems imaginary, you just want to shut it off for them like a little light switch, but it clearly doesn't work that way. When it comes to maternal mental health or mental health, perinatal mental health before and after having a baby, would you say that there's more or less support than general mental health? 
Um, and that's a good question. And let's even just clarify for all of your listeners that perinatal really is the time period from conception through that first year postpartum. And we can talk more about why that's important, but recognizing that you know, symptoms of anxiety or depression can and often do start during pregnancy. I mean, that's often a missed part of it. You know, it's an interesting question because in a lot of ways, pregnancy is the first time that people really take care of themselves and prioritize themselves in a different way because, you know, their bodies are now their baby's environment. And so for a lot of people, it's that first time where they will relax, eat better, exercise more, and really put that energy into self-care, which is lovely. You know, again, I don't know more or less. I think what's hard is that the picture that we have of having a baby is the Hallmark picture, the Instagram picture of like, this is amazing. This is so exciting. And so it creates this withdrawal of, well, then if I'm feeling this anxiety or this depression, there must be something wrong with me because that's not how it's supposed to go, if you will. That's not what it should be. And so we feel different, and that can really clamp us down. And if we're not talking about what's going on, if we're not seeking that help or know to seek that help, because we don't know that this isn't normal or it isn't just what you have to deal with, it's hard to then reach out for that help and to get that, you know, the psychology or the therapy assistance. For me, it's Facebook. More than Instagram? You're a Facebook guy? Well, yeah, my New Year's resolution was to be more like my Facebook profile guy. How would you know? <laughs> well, I'm just, well, yeah, I mean, he's got 20 pounds less than I do. Oh, that's a good start. Hey, the kids and I support that. <laughs> <laughs> he's just got a lot going on that I'm envious of. But, but I have discovered that you're more of a Facebook than an Instagram guy. We'll have to see if we could change that. Oh, you want me to be more of an Instagram guy? You know. <laughs> I can work on it if it's important to you. Um, the other thing I noticed, you know, also in the more physical, the body side of our mind-body practice is that women tend to want to take care of themselves more and sooner. So mm-hmm. at least with the physical thing. So, you know, we have a question on the form, whatever they came in with, when did you start feeling this sciatica or whatever pain it was? You know, men don't really come in until it's been there for a very long time. Usually they're coughing up blood, having a hard time breathing and limping, very close to death. And I'll be like, how long have you had this? I'm like, like 12 or 13 years. And then for women, it's like, how long have you had that sciatic? And she's like, oh, it just started this morning. I thought I'd take care of it right away. Is that similar with mental health also, would you say? You know, it's an interesting kind of gender divide. And, And I think, you know, again, women tend to be... They seem to operate on a more emotional frequency, and women tend to struggle with anxiety more often. And I think it's that anxiety that really oftentimes has someone come in and say, like, straight away, I want to deal with it. Is there that same openness to deal with it on the emotional side? I don't think so. I think it has to be something where it's now interfering with functioning, and it's something that feels deeper or bigger, you know, before they'll come in. And and listen, it's hard. You know, and and this is probably true on the physical side. I'm sure you could talk to it more. But a lot of the things that we naturally experience during pregnancy and postpartum, it's hard to differentiate them from things that are concerning, right? What new mom is sleeping well? Mm. So, you know, changes in sleep habits, which we'll see with depression or anxiety. We also see just in the postpartum period, changes in appetite. And so I think for some, it's even this feeling of, well, I don't know, is this normal? Is it not? And it's almost a wait and see when it comes to mental health until it reaches that point, or until a loved one says, honey, this isn't normal. 
right? I'm watching you struggle. We need to do something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that there is that same tendency to kind of jump on it the way you'll do with physical. I also think that for a lot of women, and we see this a lot, you know, when they embark on having a family, that health anxiety really comes up. And I think it's that health anxiety that contributes to people checking out physical ailments much faster. What do you mean by health anxiety? Anxiety around, you know, I'm feeling, you know, for someone who's feeling something physical, and is it indicative of something bigger or more concerning? Mm-hmm. So like if I have a headache, God maybe forbid. it's not just a headache, but something much God worse. forbid, yeah. Right. Okay. right, exactly. See, there it is right there. Don't even yeah, say it. Don't, even say it. don't, <laughs> don't put it out there in the not universe. Not, right. Um, so that happens more so once you uh, yeah. are on the way to parenthood, is it? Very much so. And again, having a baby is like having one of your organs walking around outside of your body. Ooh. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I just had pictures of my liver and my kidney walking around. You have four they, kids, Hans. Pick yeah. two more organs. Oh, yeah. no, right. Okay. <laughs> Those two are weirded out, but I got to tell you. My heart and my bladder. Yeah, well, but but it is. There's just a different vulnerability that comes when we have a baby, and it does. It feels like there's a piece of us now on the outside that we're more concerned about and more concerned about anything getting in the way of us parenting or being there for our kids in that way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the first thing that came to mind is that, you know, if you're just you and you don't have dependence and responsibilities like that, then it's one level of concern. But then once you bring these kids into the world, there's so much more responsibility, pressure, it feels like. Yeah. And again, you know, it's still considered much more acceptable to come in and check on a physical ailment. There's no shame in that. Mm -hmm. So sure, I'll come in and I'll jump on it. Unfortunately, and although we've made a lot of strides, you know, you talked about the stigma that exists with mental health. It still lives large. And there still is that thought or that feeling of, oh, no, what are people going to say? Or what are they going to think? Or in extreme cases, sometimes if they think, you know, that that person is somehow incapacitated or struggling, they're going to take my baby away. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have those concerns with physical ailments the way we do with emotional. And that creates a very different hesitancy to seek treatment. Right. So, like, even there, when you start to talk to people, they sometimes won't be honest with you because they're worried about that. Like, if I'm stigmatized, will somebody take my baby? Will they say I'm an unfit parent? Yeah. Karen Kleinman, who's huge in the field of maternal mental health, came out with an amazing book probably a year or two now, called Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. And it's really a like must-have for all new families. And it's something that, I don't know, I keep giving them out or people keep taking them, but I can't hold on to my copy of it. But what I love about it is it's user-friendly, a lot of great exercises, you know, suggestions of what to do. But she has these cartoon pages where, you know, she has kind of the talk bubble of what we project and put out there. So the person is like, oh, my gosh, you're glowing. Mm. And the person, you know, and they're like, oh, thank you. But then they have the thought bubble glowing. I haven't showered in five days. (laughs) I haven't eaten in three hours. I I feel so bloated or whatever. I'm struggling and I'm miserable. And then that nod and smile that goes on top of it. And it's such a great juxtaposition for women to be able to see and to connect with and to know, Mm. hey, good moms have scary thoughts. It doesn't make you not a good mom. It just means that you're normal. It's so powerful. Amazon just got it back in as an aside because they were out for a while. (laughs) A little plug there. A little plug there. You know what? It is a worthwhile resource to have. Amazing. Well, we're just warming up. Let's take a little break and we'll come back and we'll talk more about maternal mental health. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally. 
omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient needed, the supplement brand I trust created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Dr. Alyssa Berlin about maternal mental health. This doesn't count as date night, by the way. Dang it. (laughs) (laughs) So date night's important, and we should probably talk about that soon. But before we get there, you have spent like a dozen years now doing prenatal and postpartum counseling. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, you learn a lot. For myself, the more I do prenatal care, every day I learn something new. And you look back over a dozen years and you realize, wow, I I learned a lot. What are some of the things that you've picked up about, like, I know if somebody asked me the top five things that I see in my practice, physical ailments that I see during pregnancy or during postpartum or or things that even come up in labor and delivery, you know, it's just, boom, it's the same things I I see every day. And I know you've taken all that and and turned that into a workshop to try to help people, which we'll talk about probably in the third segment. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the most common things that you see that come up during pregnancy or after someone has a baby? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, You know, I think the first one probably is that couples forget to have fun. You know, we are such a type A society for the most part, and we're driven and we're ambitious, and we have a baby, and it's that same feeling of like, go, go, go. And it's so funny, and I don't even know if you know this, but I tell everyone the story of how Yosef, our oldest, almost came home from the hospital in a towel, right? Because we didn't buy anything before, and you went to Babies R Us to get what looked like, you know, a receiving blanket, mm-hmm. <laughs> found something with a HUD, brought it there, and it wasn't until the nurses were like, you idiots, that's a towel. <laughs> well, they should have seen me try to install the car seat. <laughs> <laughs> or, or watch Yosef now try to swaddle you. <laughs> you know, all good stuff. But, you know, and here's that moment where it easily could have been tense, and it easily could have been like, I can't believe you, and we're already failing, and oh my gosh, and we have to, like, fix this. But it became something that we were able to laugh about. And it mm-hmm. became something that when we, you know, had a friend, you know, gift us with a quilt with his baby clothing, that towel is front and center. Mm-hmm. So that idea of remembering to have fun, adding fun and being soft-spoken about it really can make the difference between things feeling really challenging and arduous because there's a whole lot that has to get done versus, hey, we're coming at this and we're enjoying each other while navigating this new role. So that's something that I see time and time again. And people come in with the best of intentions, but then they get bogged down by everything that has to get done. If nothing else, the myriad of times that the baby eats and, you know, needs diaper changes can just create that overwhelming energy and that, you know, forgetfulness around fun. So that's a big one. Another one that I see oftentimes is that we forget to be a team or we pretend that we're being a team, but we lose the essence and the vibe of what it is to be a team. And I use the analogy oftentimes of like a baseball game. And imagine you've got all these players in the outfield and, you know, the ball's coming to one guy and he, you know, puts his glove up and he grabs it and everyone's so excited and he's feeling really great about himself. 
And then that next pitch comes, and it's going to the same guy, but instead of having his glove up and going after it, this time he's got his glove by his side and kind of, you know, just whistling Dixie over there. And, you know, his teammates all come over to him and they say, hey, dude, what happened? Like, what'd you do? And it was this notion of, like, no, 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 I got the last one. So, like, this one's on you. And this awareness that real teams don't keep score. Hmm. Within the team. Within the team. You know? And so that notion of, you know, if you're at home with new baby and you're like, I changed three diapers. Hey, I'm not changing another diaper until you catch up into your three because we're a team and we're going to keep this even. You're not really being a team. So don't get a little tally chart. No, I, I highly discourage. I highly <laughs> don't recommend that you do that. I exceptionally recommend that I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you're getting all the insider tips. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but, but it's that feeling of a real team is if you have a free ham, you go after it. And sometimes that means that it might come to you, that ball comes to you three, four times in a row. But a real team just does. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would go after a free ham as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're kosher, by the way. I'm, I wouldn't. I would go after the uh, impossible the ham. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But also, I've never seen that quilt, by the way, outside of our houses. I don't know if a lot of people do it or if people know what it is, but we had a friend who took oh, a bunch of the baby clothing oh, and yeah. towels and other things that were just part of the first couple of years of his life. And she made this beautiful quilt out of like those T-shirts and towels and mm-hmm receiving blankets and things like that. It's really a, a beautiful thing. So that's what that was. That's right. We love you, Cassie. We'll post we a picture. <laughs> um, and but, but uh, and thanks for putting in my faux pas towel. Oh, are you so kidding me? It was our start as parents. So I wouldn't have it any other it way. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. That's it. Many, many people have heard that story. <laughs> no, but, but let's go back to it for a second, right? Because we convince ourselves that we're a team without realizing that there's this resentment and frustration that's building because you've lost the essence of it. Mm-hmm. But what that does require, though, is that everyone really check themselves, meaning it's not like, okay, well, I'll just kind of sit in the background and I'll create opportunity for you to always be the one to jump in first, right? So you each have to be very aware of yourselves and making sure that you're bringing your A-game. And when there is that sense of like, hey, we're each doing our part, then you can really trust and feel that team energy. And everything's easier with a team. Everything's easier with a partner having your back. Oh, I I got your back. I see what you did there. I feel like it kind of is a Jim Gaffigan-esque moment where he talks about how he said, my wife has this policy when the kids become afraid, they can just come in our bed and pee. And then the- (laughs) Our kids must be petrified. (laughs) So he said, you know, what it's like the first time when you wake up and he's like, oh my God, I peed on myself. Uh And then he's like, oh, wait a second. No, somebody else peed on me. And, like, you're not even sure which is better. But in either case, it's like, well, if I just move over a few inches this way, you know. And that's then, a seasoned parent, by the way. <laughs> that's a very seasoned. He's got a lot of kids. But then, like, you don't even have to change the kid or the bed because he's like, oh, hopefully she'll notice. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, that's right. Exactly. Uh-huh. So you're saying don't do that. Right. Sorry, Jim. But, be, yeah, be you're proactive. not going to win big brownie points for that. Yes. And incidentally... You know, an accidental finding in the research was the guy who just jumps in and is proactive, biggest aphrodisiac postpartum. Good to know. Yeah. So just, you know, just saying. I, I don't know that we're still postpartum. How far postpartum? Love. I was <laughs> just wondering that. I can do some dishes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, again, there, there's the inherent value because you're creating this nice vibe in the household and you're a team and we're working together, which makes everything feel good. And then there's a little, you know, sprinkles on top. Aphrodisiac. Uh, sprinkles. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so those are some of the things that you see with couples when couples come in and how the dynamic of the relationship is, right. uh, you know, can get uh, a little choppy sometimes. Uh, right. What about for individuals? Yeah, sure. So, you know, hands down for women and every woman needs to decide the way that she wants to feed her baby that works for her and her lifestyle. For women who do decide to breastfeed, I find that it is one of the most challenging adjustments that they have to the postpartum period. And oftentimes it's that thing where they say, gosh, no one ever told me. I wish someone told me. So first of all, ladies, I'm telling you now, for most people, it is one of the hardest adjustments. And it's challenging because we often assume, oh, well, it's natural, so it must be easy. Mm -hmm. And those two words or those two experiences don't really go hand in hand. I kind of joke that the title of my first book is going to be You're More Than a Pair of Boobs. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> man boobs, female. No. That's my book. Yeah, right. You're More Than oh, a Pair of perfect. Man Boobs. Yeah, we can come out with that. That could be the companion guide. <laughs> yes. A little yin and yang. Yeah, uh, yin and yang. Yang, yang. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. But that feeling of... For women to know that they're more than just, you know, breastfeeders and that what everyone in that household wants is a happy, healthy mom, mm-hmm. you know, and however that comes about. And that's super important. So so that's something that I see, you know, very often more women than men, but I'll see it with both birthing and non-birthing partners. This feeling of it's a guilty pleasure to do things for themselves. Oh, yeah. Right. Or or even like, oh, man, you know, I was so excited when my baby took a nap. Like, that's not right. Right. Like, I should want to spend every waking moment with them. And it's like, I'm yet to meet the mom that doesn't take a little bit of a sigh of relief when baby takes a nap. And you can, you know, maybe sit for five minutes. Yeah. Get your breath. Have a relaxation moment. Right. And I mean, and do you remember with Yosef, we called them yaps. They were Yosef naps Yosef because naps. he would take like these 10 minute, 20 minute naps. Yeah, and you're was, like, oh, are you kidding me? Right. He was like the quickest charger on the planet. Oh, yeah. Mm, I wish my Um, phone did that. Seriously. But, you know, ladies and gentlemen, if your babies do that, oftentimes when they switch to one nap, they figure it out and they'll actually go for a long stretch. So just like, you know, a heads up. But so for a lot of, you know, birthing and non-birthing partners, it is. It's that feeling of everything's got to be about the baby. And there'll be that sense of like, I shouldn't do for myself. I should only do for baby. The problem is you can't give what you don't have. And so if you're draining your batteries completely, giving everything to baby, you know, you're going to suffer and baby's not going to be any better for it. Yeah. So I see people sometimes, you know, during pregnancy, there's a lot of low back pain, sometimes sciatic pain, pelvic pain. There's other things, but those are the more common ones. And then postpartum, it kind of all moves up into the upper back, neck, shoulders. So we call it mommy neck and mommy back from all the bending, lifting, feeding, changing, holding. And I see people struggle with that sometimes for three or four months until like a dude would, you know, (laughs) until it's so bad that they can't move on. I'm like, oh, wow, why didn't you come take care of it? And it's like, oh, you know. I couldn't, baby. Baby needed me. There's no time for me. And And eventually they realize that everything that they do for themselves to keep themselves healthy and strong physically and emotionally is for the entire family. Like when you have a strong, healthy parent, you have a child who is being taken care of by a strong, healthy parent. Uh, it's a different experience than being taken care of by someone who's run down and yeah. in pain physically and or emotionally. Right. And it's so huge, but, but it's also important to me that it not stop there. So I'll use that as incentive, right? doing it for baby. And, and, you know, one of those, you know, quotes that you'll hear me say a lot of times is, you know, and especially like when we're talking about dating or we're talking about like taking some time for yourself, it's not something you're doing to baby. It's something you're doing for baby mm-hmm. because baby will be the direct recipient of that energy that you have. And again, that's an okay place to start. I'm doing it for baby. Mm-hmm. At some point I want it to shift and I want you to be doing it for yourself. And I want baby to be able to see 
that experience of or, or to, you know, glean that lesson of it's not just OK to do for others. It's OK to just do for you, you know, because then what happens is, is they grow up and it's that same feeling of, well, I could do something nice for my partner, but it's a guilty pleasure when it comes to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, those naps I take on weekends, I have been doing them for baby Yosef, who's now 16, but I will switch over to do them for me. Well, the good news is, is that somewhere along the way, they started putting us down for naps. It's so. true. They're <laughs> way later than we are. It's all good. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the afterbirth plan, because there's a lot you can do before the baby gets there to get yourself ready and to get your relationship ready. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Honey Bunny, my wife, Dr. Alyssa Berlin. And uh, you created this program called the Afterbirth Plan Workshop. So tell me if I'm wrong, but this is how I kind of describe it to our clients. First of all, I think that the postpartum period is, generally speaking, bumpy terrain. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like off-roading, really. And when you go off-roading in an off-road vehicle, it can be a lot of fun. It could be a great experience. And even though it's bumpy and jumpy, you still might want to do it again. You may pay a lot of money to do it again. That's right. But if you go in your little sedan, it's not going to be a fun (laughs) ride. So you got to have the right vehicle. And you also have to have a lay of the land. There's seemingly the same kind of pitfalls that people fall into over and over and over just naturally that the postpartum period lends itself to whether individually or as a couple and if you had a a little map if you had a kind of a road map of where those pitfalls are and how to navigate around them you could have a much more enjoyable experience and so it's my feeling that the afterbirth plan that you put so much time and effort and expertise into is that road map I've taught you well. I couldn't have said it better. That Ooh, was perfect. Thanks, thank babe. you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Is it an aphrodisiac? Or... No. <laughs> Let's find out later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, back to the afterbirth it plan. Is, it is after nine. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Nighttime programming here. <laughs> so what is the afterbirth plan workshop? How does it work? Yeah, and thank you. I'm so glad that we're talking about it. It truly has been this passion program years in the making. So, so excited that we're at this point. You know, it's exactly like what you said. It's a map right? It's really hard to get someplace if you don't know where you're going. And having that map just makes it that much more of an enjoyable experience, right? It's the difference between the bumps getting us down versus wanting to do the wave and really enjoying that experience. Mm. You know, the afterbirth plan, I divided it into three main topics, which is really lovely because the, the timing worked out perfectly. We've been wanting to put it online for a long time. It just happens to coincide with, you know, COVID-19. So, Online, it's separated into smaller modules, but there's three main topics. The first one is, what happens when we have a baby? And again, not the Facebook or the Instagram version of it, but like everything. What really happens. What really happens. And and the good parts, as well as the more challenging parts, because you can't accurately prepare if you don't know what to expect. So accurate expectations, getting a clear picture and a holistic picture of what that experience looks like. For birthing, non-birthing partners, as well as the couple and the family unit. Mm -hmm. The middle part of the workshop is really about your support team. So when we're lucky enough to have a partner, how do we work on the relationship? Because we know that when the relationship goes sour, 
that that could be a huge risk factor in developing a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder or struggling in the postpartum period. So the middle part is all about how can we help keep the relationship strong and intact, and both by what are the behaviors that will really help you to stay connected and to be close with each other, and what are the behaviors that are toxic, kind of like the fake team, that if you're doing this, that's your indication that we need to kind of figure out how to get you back on track. Hmm. And you know, if we have time later, we could talk about it, because I use an escalator as an analogy to really help understand that, that whole experience. Um, And then the last part is education and information, all about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So what we used to call postpartum depression, we now recognize is a small piece of a much bigger puzzle. And so now the term that you'll hear in the field is perinatal, because like we were saying at the beginning, it's something that can start during pregnancy. So, you know, conception all the way through that first year of postpartum. Mood and anxiety disorders, because we now see that there's a whole host and a bigger constellation of different mental illnesses that happen in that postpartum period. Postpartum depression just being one of them, but depression, you kind of mentioned generalized anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning, that's another one. Mania, bipolar, in rare cases, psychosis. And something that I see very often in my practice is postpartum obsessive compulsive disorder. Oh. And it's important to recognize that for a lot of women, the, the presentation of a postpartum illness is looking more anxious than it is depressed in recent years. So having that information, having that education, it does a couple of things. You know, what we're wanting to do is remove that sense of stigma. Somehow this is my fault or I did this in an effort to increase the likelihood of seeking treatment and intervening sooner than later because it's not your fault and you're not alone. And with help, you will get well. And that's Postpartum Support International's universal message, which is really important. And I always like for partners to have that same information and to be on the same page. First, it helps them to know what to do that really is helpful and what not to do that even though they mean to be helpful is actually a lot more pointed than they realize. Oh, that's a big deal. Big, big deal. And, you know, and in the workshop, I even give you like literally like um, script, right? Suggested things of what to say and what not to say to help give you the verbiage because it is a sensitive thing to talk about. And the other thing is, is that oftentimes, like we said before, it might be the partner who's recognizing that something's going on. But what's so hard is oftentimes and without that education, we almost don't know what to ask and we don't know what to look for. So that education really is helpful in being able to open up that conversation and navigate it much more smoothly. I mean, you seemingly literally had that on the card over here. (laughs) What? Where a partner called Uh, you. Yes. um, And he's like, the things that are happening, like several months postpartum, the things that are happening with my wife are just, you know, she's clearly having some kind of episode that's, that's right. not her normal self. Right. And he was reaching out for help and was able to get some help. And, you know, without having those resources or somebody to reach out to, that could have turned into a really bad situation. Yeah. And that's why I really like for couples to do the workshop or, you know, for individuals to do the workshop during the second trimester. I don't want you waiting until after you have a baby. Right. It's kind of like you don't wait for a fire to be blazing to be like, oh, I should have had an escape route or I should have figured out like what, how I'm going to navigate this. Mm-hmm. It's important to have that established beforehand because my passion is in prevention. And if I can help prevent you from stepping into it before you step out of it, then that's what I really want. I want to help you step over it or sidestep it without having to experience it. 
And there's a therein lies a big difficulty because um, generally, I think the way we operate is, if I don't have a problem, I'm not going to put resources into a solution. Right. Why would I invest in prevention? We see that in our healthcare system, right? We we don't support different modalities that will keep us healthy. We wait until something is symptomatic, and then the insurance kind of will say, okay, fine, maybe. So during pregnancy. That's so far in the back burner, and what's on our mind is, you know, what kind of birth are we going to have, and what kind of setting is it going to be with a doctor, a midwife, home, a hospital, vaginal, cesarean, medicated, unmedicated. Uh, what kind of gear are we going to ah, get? Ah, the stroller. So much emphasis on the baby gear and the nursery and other things like that. Whereas the people who do see the value in investing in some postpartum prevention, like baby-proofing your relationship with a workshop like this, or, you know, getting your mind and body ready as individuals, getting your relationship ready as a couple. The people who do see it and do the program really get into it, they always come back saying, thank you so much for giving me this incredibly valuable tool. And uh, how many people have we had that considered it, but felt like they didn't have the time, they were too busy, they didn't have resources to allocate, and then they came back later and like, I should have done that, you know? And then it's so much harder after the fact to start to deal with it while you're in the in the middle in the of, throes of everything yeah and what was so lovely is you know a couple that i am still working with but um you know she indicated that what was so lovely about the workshop is that it was you know all the information was described in a way that her husband could relate to it so things that's like she had been trying to share with him but wasn't kind of hitting the mark he came out and was like oh i get it now you know which is so important and yeah you know I keep trying, and I will be a one-woman revolution, but I keep trying to get midwives and obstetricians and our medical professionals on board with making it a standard part of prenatal care. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when that happens, when your doctor or midwife says, oh, you know, you're 28 weeks pregnant, it's time to do your postpartum work, that's when we'll remove a lot of that stigma, and that's when a lot of people are not going to be afraid to jump in or to be like, gosh, do we or is it worthwhile? But it's going to be just something that they do as part of their standard practice without questioning it and then get to benefit from having that information and that knowledge. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, there are. There are standard benchmarks we check for certain things at 20 weeks and other things at 28 weeks. It should be that before you get into that final trimester that you do some kind of awareness and prevention whether it's an afterbirth plan workshop or just a check-in or some kind of scale that you do, there's got to be something that you do to get ready for it because it's so big and it's so common for people to struggle with that on the other side. And that's the biggest travesty in a lot of ways. There's a lot of it that is preventable if we put that work in beforehand. Not always, right? And sometimes we'll do all the work and a woman or a man, a partner or a birthing or non-birthing partner will struggle with a mental illness. But even that, they're more likely to seek out treatment faster. They're less likely to be scared because they're understanding more about what's happening. And that's an important point, too, because originally we talked about the birthing partner and all the PMADs, Mm -hmm. perinatal mood and anxiety disorders that can come up. But they can also happen in the non-birthing partner, male or female. Um, And to know what to look for on the other side is important, too. That's right. To know what to look for, to recognize it's got a different presentation, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's also important. And, and, you know, I'm a big proponent that self-care includes three entities. It includes the birthing partner, the non-birthing partner, and the couple. Mm. And that when we're feeding the energy of all three, that's when we're in our best place. 
either to enjoy life with baby or if something's going on that needs some additional attention, we have the support and the energy and the wherewithal to be able to address it as a family. Because no matter who's struggling with the PMAT, it's a family issue and it needs a family response to it. The afterbirth plan, you do it in different formats. So you used to do live group workshops right now with Back in, the day. in this moment of pandemic, we don't do that anymore. But people can still do it live with you online, mm-hmm. either just privately mm-hmm. via webcam or in a group. Mm-hmm. And then also you have the at your own pace version of it that you mentioned earlier, where it's um, several modules, bite-sized modules that you can do at your own pace and comfortable time frame. And I think you said second trimester is one of the best times to do it. 28 weeks. Yeah. Second trimester is the best, right? You're hopefully past the nausea and sleepiness and discomfort of that first trimester. Second trimester is usually that time where you're like, oh, I feel like myself and I'm pregnant. And there's more energy to devote to these things. And then third trimester becomes much more about preparing for birth, which, you know, is important. The other thing is, is that I want you doing it second trimester because I want you starting to practice these things. I want all of the different tools and techniques that we talk about to be second nature when you go into having a baby, because otherwise stress hits and we revert back to what we know. And oftentimes that's our less functional coping mechanisms. But if you've been practicing this for months and you've now incorporated it into your relationship, it's much easier to draw on. And I am a big proponent. I don't want the things that we talk about to just be like theoretical and nice ideas. I want them to be things that you leave the workshop and you can implement into your relationship from day one. Right. So I have couples who have told me that after doing the workshop, the birth experience was a more meaningful experience because of the way they were communicating with each other and understanding each other on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. So it's not even only about the afterbirth plan. No. And and I've had a lot of people, you know, I recently had someone reach out. Their son is, I believe, eight and says, we still use, you know, all the information because it's mainly like it has that big relationship component and it's, you know, relationships across the board. Lately, what I'm finding in general, as you were talking about the different you know, ways that you could do the workshop, what I've been finding to be like the winning combo is for people to do the workshop online through Teachable and then follow up with individual coaching sessions mm-hmm. um, because it's just a wonderful you know, blending or marrying of the two where now you've got the information and you've got this you know, frame of reference. And then we can come in and we can talk about it and we can clarify and we can do whatever we need to to apply it to your individual situation. Right, much more personalized mm-hmm. to your situation, your relationship. Yeah, so that's been a really winning combo right now. Well, thanks for sharing all this beautiful information with me and mm-hmm. with our audience. The Afterbirth Plan is online. Mm-hmm. You can find all this information online at theafterbirthplan.com. And to get in touch with you, people can go to drberlin.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N.com. And there's your page with a contact form. And then on social media, (laughs) where do we find you? Well, on Instagram, it's Dr. Alyssa D. Berlin. And on Facebook, it's Alyssa Berlin. See, I guess I'm more of an Instagram girl. I see you are. And I see you're (laughs) dragging me in that direction. That's okay. I can be more visual. Thanks again for joining me, and also at home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you like our program, share us with your friends, leave us some feedback in your podcast app. It is important to us. We do read and react to it, and many of the topics that we have done and that we're in the works for right now have been suggested by you. We read every single email and comment. So we look forward to hearing from you 
on Instagram. It's Dr. Berlin, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N. Or, see, Instagram, baby. Yeah, there you uh, go. <laughs> or online at informedpregnancy.com.